Welcome to Crosswords, the podcast about practical Christianity. What does it look like to walk in Jesus' footsteps? How do I live in a culture hostile to godliness? These are questions that we will answer as we get our minds and heart on Jesus. Good afternoon, everyone. Happy Resurrection Sunday for us. It's every Sunday. Thankfully, we have the spirit of newness. But in the springtime, it's very special as we see the flowers and the trees and the new grass and uh, everything else coming up with new life. It reminds us of the new life that we have in Jesus Christ. That's why I love the seasons. So this year was 2021, not too long ago. Robert Young had received a call from a brother in the South Haven Church of Christ in Mississippi. He had been contacted, that brother in Mississippi, by someone who wanted to study the Bible to get baptized, and he was in our area. Robert then contacted me, since this young person that had contacted him found out that he was living closer to me. This young man had been researching several churches on the internet, videos about the Bible. He had gone through almost every video in World Video Bible School and other broadcasts from the church. He wanted to be immersed in Christ. He knew that was an important thing and no other church was willing to do that. Uh, if anything, they would discourage him from thinking that way. So he was looking for Jesus' church. He was looking for the truth. So I proceeded to call him. We got together at my house, started our first Bible study, and I asked him how he came to know about baptism. And he said that as he was studying the Bible and he was looking at these videos that were showing him in the Bible what one must do to be saved, he said, that's that's what the Bible says. So I want to do what the Bible says. But he said, I'm struggling to find a church that believes those things. And I said, well, God has a way of working in the lives of people who want to know the truth. So here we are. And I proceeded to baptize him that day. And uh, he is our brother, Jack Cardenas, who is in the church and he is persevering in the work of God. So we are in Acts chapter 15. This is not your typical Resurrection Sunday message, but since when is the Long Island Church of Christ typical when it comes to thematic lessons? Chapter 15 is a tough chapter. It's a difficult chapter. And we're going to talk about handling disputes because there are two big disputes that happen in this chapter. A major one, big one, with the potential of hurting the church badly and even dividing the church. But it is resolved for the time being within the chapter. And then at the end of chapter 15, we also find a minor dispute that actually goes unresolved for some time. But today we're going to focus mainly on the major one here. We start out by seeing that some men came from Judea and started to teach believers that people can't be saved unless they are circumcised as Moses' teachings require. So this incident arises. It's not the first time we see it in Acts. We know that there was a group out there called the Judaizers. Actually, our brother Robert Young introduced them to us in one of his sermons not too long ago. And so now they come up again, and they had tried to circumvent apostolic authority. Notice how they started to teach believers, not the way the apostles would teach. They didn't even check with the apostles. They just all on their own started to teach people that you can't be saved unless. And that is a dangerous phrase. And it does happen today. 
How many groups are out there saying you can't be saved unless and they teach something different from the scriptures, usually adding things that the scriptures don't talk about and laying therefore a burden on the people who want to find salvation in Christ. It's a phrase that causes people to stumble because there is no alternate method of salvation. Paul tells the Galatians that even if an angel from heaven came and told you something different than what I said, let him be eternally condemned. It's something that God takes very seriously. If some group out there starts saying, you can't be saved unless dot, dot, dot. And whatever those dots are, if they're not what the Bible says, be very careful. So Paul and Barnabas had a fierce dispute with these men. I can only imagine how fierce it was. And then Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were sent to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the spiritual leaders about this claim. So sometimes fierce disputes break out. And this was for a good reason. It's a human matter. We don't know everything. We're easily misled sometimes by our own opinions and by our own convictions. But these brothers wanted to do it the right way. They wanted to seek apostolic authority. And so they were sent to consult the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem at that time. Remember, they did not have a New Testament as we have today. So they actually had to see the apostles and the prophets on whom the church was built on. Thankfully, today, we do have the scriptures to settle these matters. Jesus teaches us how to handle disputes, though. And it reminded me of Matthew 18, 15 through 17, where Jesus also instructs us how to try to settle disputes with each other privately. Now, at first, this might have been a dispute between Paul and some other individuals, but it quickly grew to a dispute that could have caused divisions in the church, which is why they sought apostolic authority. And so the idea here is that some kind of authority needs to be consulted in order for us to know what is right by God. Otherwise, then many, many different churches could pop up. Some of you might say, well, Pedro, that's exactly what's happening. <laughs> and that's right, because when we go by our own opinion, instead of seeking God's authority, then it's an unlimited number of opinions out there, isn't there? So therefore, giving rise to an unlimited number of churches and opinions. But is that what the truth of God is about? Your opinion, my opinion? Or is there an ultimate truth that we can consult? Well, we know by the scriptures that yes, there is. Jesus is the ultimate authority. He is the ruler. He is the king. And he passed on that authority to his apostles. And we have that authority in God's word today. As you can see here in this verse, a commission was formed to address that matter. Very important to seek unity of the spirit when it comes to matters of dispute. So I wanted to take advantage of this opportunity and go a little bit over Matthew 18. I think it would be a good time to review what Jesus talks about here. How to settle disputes amongst us because it's sometimes a, a daily or a weekly thing amongst people, right? So what does Jesus say? Let's take a, a little bit of a deep dive. Not that deep because we don't have that much time. Jesus says here in Matthew 18 verse 15, If a believer does something wrong, go confront him when the two of you are alone. If he listens to you, you have won back that believer. In this passage and in the next two verses, Jesus shows us how to handle situations when there is sin, when there is sin present, when we have witnessed sin in our brothers and sisters or when somebody has witnessed sin in us. How do we proceed going with this? It's important to remember what Jesus says here because it's a challenge in every generation to do this the right way. 
because some of us are very non-confrontational, so we don't want to say anything, we want to keep our mouths shut, we kind of let it slide, we'll let somebody else deal with it. But in reality, that's not the right way to go about settling these issues. As a matter of fact, if we do that, we could actually be getting in trouble ourselves. So let's talk a little bit about this. This is really about personal accountability and personal responsibility. After 9-11, there was a message that the TSA constantly was announcing in all the airports. Do you remember what that message was? If you see something, say something. Boom, Matthew 18. That's where you get it from. Personal accountability. There's just no other way to deal with it. Because there is no group of people, no matter how much authority that they may have, that they can know everything that's going on. This is a matter of individual responsibility for every single one of us. And particularly because we have such a large family. We each need to be involved in each other's lives at this level for our security, for your security, for our unity. And that's what we see happening in Acts chapter 15. Them doing such a thing because of a big dispute that broke out in a matter of doctrine, right? What Jesus talks about here in Matthew 18, not necessarily a matter of doctrine, but it could be could turn into that but it's definitely about dealing with sin so what is he saying here he's saying that i am my brother's keeper we can't be like cain what did cain say cain objected to that he said am i in my brother's keeper <laughs> and that's kind of like the mentality well i don't want to deal with it i didn't do anything he's the one with the problem let him deal with it but that's not the spirit of love the spirit of love is i am my brother's keeper this is about personal accountability and confronting. Guess what confronting is about peacekeeping. If I love my brother and I see him sinning or see her sinning, if you see me sinning, it is your personal accountability to talk to me in private about what you saw or about what you heard. Not to say, oh, I'm not getting involved in that and then say it to somebody else. And now you're sinning by gossiping. So not doing something about it can actually lead you to sin about it if you don't bring it up in private. We are our brother's keeper. And love is involved in being accountable to each other. That's what we're called here to do. Jesus gave us peace, not like the world. He came bringing peace. He imparts his peace unto us, as John 14, 27 says. And we are to be peacekeepers, like Matthew 5, 9 says. That's part of the character of the kingdom people. Peace is about reconciliation. Peace is about unity. Sin destroys peace and it destroys unity. That's why Jesus is all about confronting this. And we preserve that through this personal responsibility of being watchful for each other and being our brother's keeper. It also involves bearing with each other too because we're not perfect. I may need to be told more than once that I'm sinning, you know? And if you love me, you'll bear with me and, and tell me again, you know, and meet with me in private. Up to how many times, Peter asked Jesus? Seventy, seven times, is that it? No, 70 times seven. That surely will test anyone's patience, right? But this is how we show love. We not only show love by confronting, but we show love by bearing with one another through these things. This is what Paul speaks of in 1 Corinthians 14. He speaks about bearing with each other's differences of opinion, differences in judgment at times that we may not like, but that's 
not what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is talking about sin. We need to be careful. A warning here. We want to be careful not to manipulate scripture when confronting somebody about sin. There was a fierce dispute we read at the beginning of Acts chapter 15. And some of them were bending scripture, saying, you can't be saved unless you are circumcised and follow Moses' teachings. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. We've got to examine the scriptures. Some may tend to bend scriptures to favor their opinion of how they look at something. But when we meet with each other and go through this process, we need to be careful not to do that. Have you ever wanted to read the Bible in plain English, a language that you can actually understand and follow? Well, there is a translation like that called God's Word Translation by God's Word to the Nations Mission Society. This is the only translation of the Bible in English that follows a dynamic equivalent translation philosophy. It makes the Bible very easy to understand and it flows very naturally in the English language. You can follow along my podcast where I read to you from God's Word translation for one whole year. You can search for the podcast on Spotify or your favorite podcast reader. Search for God's Word Translation by God's Word to the Nation Mission Society. You can also look it up under my name, Pedro Gelibert. Matthew 7, 1 through 5, talks about sometimes twisted judgment that we may have. And we need to remember that God will judge us based on how we judge the other person. So I want to be very careful when I perceive something. I want to make sure that what I'm seeing before I confront somebody, is it a matter of opinion or, or did this brother really commit a sin? I need to really think about it and pray about it. Talk with them in private. That's why you do that in private. Very important first step. Because maybe I missed something. Maybe I interpreted something. Maybe I presumed something. And I want to clear it up before I move forward. Remember that the whole point here is to restore the fellowship. To restore the person. To win over that brother or sister as Jesus said there. So what is that sin? And some of your versions says, if a brother sins against you, that part against you, there's a lot of debate from many theologians as, a, as to whether the against you is really meant there or not. It's basically talking about sin. If someone sins and I witness it, I'm there, I'm in the presence. I have a personal responsibility to do something. I see something. I need to say something. Just like we were taught after 9-11. So what does that mean? It means that something illegal, immoral, hurtful, or unethical was done in my presence. And so if it was done there and I witnessed it or I heard about it, I have the personal accountability to confront it because I love. That has to be my primary motivation. Because I love, I will confront it. And guess what? Jesus is not making this up, This these three steps that we extrapolate out of these verses. This actually comes from Leviticus. He's referencing Leviticus 19, 16 through 18. Read that very carefully. And Leviticus was all about either damage to the person, if, if there was damage done to your person, a defamation of your character, somebody lied about you, somebody spreading false witness about you, somebody is being divisive, or even some physical harm was done to your to yourself, Physical harm done to your property. Somebody put a cinder block through your front windshield in your car. 
This is what Leviticus 19, 16 through 18 is about. And this is where Jesus takes that idea of sin. If somebody does something like this to you, go confront that person. Go show them your sin. Try to win your brother or your sister over. These are typical cases that the world actually would bring into a court of law, into a small claims court. I was defamed. You defamed. You spoke lies about me. Or, or you trashed my house. Or you wrecked my car. Or you hurt me. Aggravated assault. You know, these are typical things that people sue each other in court and go to court for. But Jesus says in the church, no, that's not how we handle things. Because we're a family. And so when somebody sins against you in that way, you go speak privately first to the person and try to win them over. Try to resolve it in the spirit of love, in the spirit of peace, and in the spirit of union. You get the idea now of what this is about, Matthew 18? This is the type of dispute that he's talking about here. What it doesn't mean is matters of opinion. Well, maybe I don't agree with your worldview, or I don't agree with how you interpret a certain passage. And as long as it's not a matter of doctrine, well, hey, you know, I have to accept you because you're my brother, you're my sister. I can't get all Matthew 18 on you because it's a matter of opinion. It's not a matter of sin. Differences of opinion are not sin. I may do things one way, you may do it another. Tomato, tomato, potato, potato. These are matters of opinion. It's not a matter of Matthew 18. Maybe you don't like the way I looked at you the other day. And you think that there's a problem. Oh, I got to confront Pedro because he didn't look at me the right way. It's a matter of opinion. Maybe I was having a stomachache. I don't know. <laughs> but you know what? If it makes you happy, talk to me. Because the alternative, which is to go to another brother and says, oh, what's wrong with him? Now give me a look. And now, see, when you do that, now we're talking about possible sin, which is gossip. And then other people are like, yeah, what's wrong with him? And then all of a sudden, something is wrong with Pedro. And all Pedro had some gas. That's all he had. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes our presumptions take us to another level there. And we have to be very careful with that. I don't like how what they said to me. I don't like how, how he answered me. Man, you know, that happens a lot, especially when you text. I can put a lot of happy face emojis, but you'll still take it the wrong way. So be careful. But brothers and sisters, that's not a really, that's not a real Matthew 18 issue, okay? That, that's what I want to tell you. Matthew 18 is, I want to take this person to court kind of issue. You see where I'm going? That's Leviticus. It's not about matters of opinion. What not to do? Gossip. We talked about that. Don't do that. Don't spread the slander because now you're getting into sin if that happens. Don't get an attitude. Look, if somebody has a difference of opinion over you, deal with it. <laughs> That's life, okay? We're all going to have different ways of thinking about things and doing things. Even different ways of practicing a scripture. Just because I may practice a practical application in scripture different than you would think I should practice it, it's still a matter of opinion. It's not a matter of doctrine. Sometimes we have a little trouble with that. If you don't know, then yes, let's talk about it. Because I may presume that it might be a doctrinal matter, and then you have to clear me up on that, or vice versa. 
And that's okay. Yes, we need to talk about that. We need to talk a lot about that so that we don't have to go overboard with it. But let's not get attitudes. Let's not give each other the cold shoulder being petulant about issues like this because we're a family. Don't think that you're better. <laughs> don't act all superior either. That's not the right way to go about it. And don't be a stumbling block. Make sure you don't put a stumbling block in front of something. What to do? Well, what to do? You confront in private, as Jesus said here. Take the person aside. Sometimes you may be on the other side of that, right? Somebody's taking you aside. And you're like, oh, okay, what are, what are we doing? Because <laughs> sometimes it, it, it comes out of left field, right? I don't know. I, I, I've been fine the whole day. And somebody all of a sudden, somebody takes me over to the corner and says, Pedro, i got to tell you something. I'm like, okay, here we go. <laughs> What, how, what did I do? <laughs> I know I did something. And, and we have to be open about that. I know I'm not perfect. Most likely I did something. I didn't know what it was, but you're going to clear that up with me. And hopefully we'll be okay after that. And so it happens, brothers and sisters. Don't get mad because somebody's taking you to the side and saying, hey, you know, what did you mean? What? They just want to clear it up. That's what we're supposed to do. And so that's how we bear with, with, with each other too. It's not just a one-sided bearing here. We gotta, if, if you're pulling me to the side, I gotta bear with you too. With your misunderstanding. So we confront with care and we do it in private. And the goal here, as it says in Matthew 18, 15, is to win them over, to make peace, to reestablish peace because for some reason, peace was disturbed. <laughs> By something I said or did or something you said or did or something I misinterpreted or something, whatever it was. Want to clear it up. And how to do that? Well, be gentle, but be firm. Don't, don't uh, beat around the bush. Sometimes that can get a little tedious. <laughs> just get out there and just say it. And the best way to do it is to make I statements. Right? Not the I statements like, I think you're dumb. Not that kind of I statement. Okay. <laughs> no, like, I felt this way when you said x y and z or i felt like this when you did that or i saw you did this and it made me feel a certain way or i just saw you did this or i just heard you say this trying to be not judgmental you don't go up there and say you're a lazy bum <laughs> or you know making another accusation like that because certainly that's not going to go well you want to be straight you want to be to the point you want to make eye contact but you want to affirm, you want to make non-judgmental statements at that point. Just talking about what I saw, just talking about what I heard, that's all. And maybe if you felt something, hey, you know, when you said this, I felt this way. Okay, now we're talking about a feeling, so it could be more subjective. But, okay, you felt that way, all right, you know, let's talk about it a little more. But there's little I can do if you felt a certain way about something. That, at that point, now we're getting very subjective. So we have to be careful with that when we get subjective. We're all going to have different feelings. If you don't win your brother or sister over at that point, then at least you know you tried. You did your part. As the scriptures say, as long as, as much as it is up to you, live in peace with one another. So I have to do the most that I can to preserve the peace and the unity of the spirit. But sometimes that doesn't happen, right? So if the person was not happy or... They weren't restored to peace. They don't want to listen to you. And remember, we're talking about a sin here, not matters of opinion. Okay, let's remember that. Because 
I cannot say, oh, brothers, brothers, come here. We got to talk to this brother because I don't agree with the color of the car he bought. We need to, we need to fix that. I know I'm making it sound silly, but if it's not a matter of black and white sin, that's what it's going to sound like. So we have to be very careful with that. So yes, when it comes to a matter of sin, then Jesus tells us where we go next. And this is also derived from the law of Moses, from Deuteronomy 19, 15 and 13, 12 through 14. So these are not steps that Jesus kind of pulled out of thin air. These are actually things that we got from the law of Moses about how to handle disputes, how to handle sin, how to handle problems with the family of God. He says, if he, if she does not listen at that point to you, you haven't won them over, then that's when you take one or two others with you so that every accusation may be verified by two or three witnesses. Notice the, the legal, it sounds very legal, right? Because it is. It's supposed to be with that, with that same spirit. It's part of the law of Moses, Deuteronomy 19, 15, Deuteronomy 13, 12 through 14. You bring it up before two witnesses. You don't just want to bring anybody, but somebody that may have some authority, somebody that is mature, somebody that knows how to handle scriptures. Remember that the goal still here is to restore that brother, that sister. It's not to intimidate them. It's not to judge them. It's actually to plead and inter intercede on their behalf before God's throne. If you like this podcast, please show your support by clicking on the support link on my Anchor FM profile. You will find the link listed in the description of the podcast on your favorite podcast app. With your support, I will continue to produce authentic Christian content as the Lord allows me to do. So this is the purpose and the intent of the law of Moses here. And this was very important because based on the testimony of only one witness, nobody could even be convicted, not even of murder, on just one witness. It had to be at least two and at best three witnesses. Well, what if the person denies it, you may say? What if, you know, you're hoping that they admit to, to the sin, but what if they don't? What if the person denies it? What did they say? Well, no such thing happened. You're making it all up. What do you do at that point? Well, if the facts cannot be confirmed according to the law of Moses, you got to drop the issue. Don't they do that in the court of law too? If the person denies it and nothing can be proven, the matter is to be dropped. And then you pray. And we know how God sometimes has a way of bringing things about because you can't sin, sin, sin and hide it. God eventually brings it out one way or another. As a matter of fact, this is a scriptural concept that we see in the Old Testament. Sometimes sin has to mature in order for it to be dealt with. You have to let it grow. It's like a pimple, right? If you try to pop a pimple before it gets that white color, you're going to hurt yourself. But you wait, you wait, you wait, and when that pimple comes to a point, you're like, it's poppable. And then boom, you deal with it. Same goes with sin. You might have a suspicion that something is happening. But a suspicion is not enough. Matthew 18 is not about suspicions. It's about confirmable, factual things that you witnessed. And if you haven't witnessed something factual, then you have to wait. But God has a way of bringing it around. He has a way of doing it. 
And if the person ignores these witnesses, if he ignores everybody, then you tell it to the community of believers. Now, sometimes we like to pull the gun a little too early and say, okay, <clears throat> we will disfellowship the person. No, it's not at that point yet. That's actually part four. Part three is we bring it before the church. Hey, brothers and sisters, uh, you know, sister so-and-so here, she's been talking really bad about her other sister. She has defamed her. She has lied about her. Let's, let's all encourage our sister so-and-so not to do that. And you say it in public because you've tried to deal it at the private level. You tried to deal it with a few brothers and sisters. They don't listen. Now you bring it to the whole church. You get the whole church involved. But you haven't told the person to leave yet. No. Now you're getting the whole church involved at that point to see if the love becomes something sustainable for them. See if it convicts them. And then if they ignore the church, now after that third step, if they're still hard-hearted and stubborn, then it says you deal with him as you would a heathen or a tax collector. Then that's the disfellowship point. So the disfellowship comes at the fourth level, not the third one, the fourth one, okay? So as we can see, there are three reasons for church discipline. Personal offenses, when a brother or a sister sins against another brother or sister, the matter is investigated, the matter is confirmed, but no peace is arrived at either in private or either with a few witnesses or either with the whole church, boom. Then at that point, there's church discipline. Also, Titus chapter 3, verse 9 through 11 talks about brethren causing divisiveness, behaving in a very divisive way. Basically, you know, if somebody were to teach something false in the church and you've told them to stop and they keep doing it, that has to happen quickly. Actually, there's no one, two, three, four. At that point, it's one, two, out. Bible is very clear about that. And or unrepentant sinning, like 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 through 13, where Paul gives instructions about that there. So this is just a little brief review of Matthew 18. And so because the issue was so important, we see that the church sends Paul and Barnabas to the church in Jerusalem where the apostles and the elders met to consider the issue. This was a very important issue. We're talking about, gee, you know, is this false doctrine? Is this what Jesus said? Is this what Jesus commanded? Is this what the Holy Spirit has revealed? Not only were some of the men in Judea insisting on that alternate means of salvation, but in Jerusalem, when you read the text, I'm not going to read the text, you can read it on your own. When you read it, you see that some of the Pharisees also belong to that band of people who believed in that and were insisting on that same approach right there in that council in Jerusalem. So by the time you get to verse 7 in Acts 15, you see that there's been a lot of debating going back and forth between those Pharisees and between the rest of the disciples. And then Peter comes as first witness and presents his eyewitness testimony before the council. And Peter uses his experience in Acts chapter 10 and in Acts chapter 11 as a backdrop to the conviction the Spirit was to establish in the church. He gives them some insight as to how the Spirit worked. He says, look, I didn't make this up. I was speaking to Cornelius, and they were full of the Holy Spirit, and they were speaking in tongues. And, and it wasn't me just who saw it. It was some others who were there. I mean, at that point, how could we not baptize them in water? And that was a pretty solid case. And there were other eyewitnesses to that as well. In verse 9, he'll say, God doesn't discriminate between Jewish 
and non-Jewish people. A very important foundational point of doctrine Peter arrives at here through the Holy Spirit. He says, he has cleansed non-Jewish people through faith as he has cleansed us. And Paul presents a great thesis on this in Romans and in Galatians when he debates this in his letters in, at full depth. Paul was a lawyer, so he knows these points very well. And he gives us a treatise on these matters in Romans and in Galatians as well. How God does not play favorites. God does not discriminate. Very important principle here. I like how what Peter says here. He says, why are you testing God? And he's saying this to the people who were trying to present an alternative means of salvation than the one that was already there. He's like, why are you putting a burden and brothers and sisters, this is a red flag. Whenever there is a teaching out there that is calling you to do something more than what the scripture says and curtailing your freedom in Christ, red flag, that's a man-made doctrine. Because Jesus frees man and slaves. Why are you testing God? If you're about putting burdens on people that they have never been able to carry, you're certainly barking up the wrong tree. So, he concludes, we certainly believe that the Lord Jesus saves us in the same way that he saves them through his kindness, which basically is through his grace. And so Peter, at the end of his presentation, closes the matter by saying, hey, it's settled. We're saved by grace. We're not saved by what we do. That's not the way that even Abraham was saved, Paul will say, in his treatment of this in Galatians, making a great case about this. So basically we come to this conclusion, which I'm sure you've seen this before. It's a great thing to know that justice is getting what we deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. And grace, which is what we're saved by, is getting what we don't deserve. And this is basically what the gospel is all about. Getting what we don't deserve and not getting what we deserve instead of justice. So after this whole thing, after Peter makes his presentation, James comes along. Not James the Apostle, because remember James the Apostle was martyred already. So James, Jesus' brother, who was a pillar in the church, then he speaks from verses 13 through 21. And James is now going to back up Peter's witness with scripture. Very important thing to do. Scripture needs to be at the center of what we call doctrinal matters and matters of salvation. And James, I like James. He's a Berean. I mean, you've read the letter of James, haven't you? And, and he's like very meticulous. He's a Berean. He listened closely to Peter. He listened to the witness of Paul and all those who were there. And he knows it was in agreement with Scripture. And he presents a couple of passages from the prophet Amos for your consideration. You can read about that later. Now, of course, they settled the matter. The church, all those who were in agreement with the authority of God through the apostles, in their minds, the matter was settled. But guess what? Was the matter really settled in the minds of the others? Not really. So sometimes you try to settle a matter, but it's unsettled. But at the end, when Jesus comes back, believe me, everything is going to be settled at that point, which is why we need to make sure we're on Jesus' side so that when he comes back, we'll be like, okay, <laughs> we're good because he's not going to deal too kindly with those who have opposed him. You have to remember that there is no truth but God's truth alone in his word. And this is why it's so important to be Bereans. We need to all rally and come together around the word of God. 
Not around our opinions. Not with what a particular church says or a particular book that was written. But the word of God needs to be what we come around. And we need to do all things in love. Not love of self, but love of God and love of our brothers and sisters. And let mercy triumph over judgment. If you're going to make a mistake, this is what I've learned. If you're going to make a mistake, it's always best to err on the side of mercy than on the side of judgment. And so if I'm going to be wrong, I'd rather God tell me on judgment day, you were too merciful because he's very merciful. <laughs> but if God says to me, you, you were too judgmental, yikes. I don't want to be judgmental. I mean, I want to judge with the word of God. But in those opportunities where I'm like, where you kind of don't know and you wrestle with it, I'd rather go with mercy because that's what was shown to me. Okay? Well, brothers and sisters, you know, at the end of our services, we have an opportunity to pray. If the words of the Spirit have convicted you, if there's something that you need to bring out, if there's someone you need to confront, if there's something that's aching in your heart, let us pray about it. Let us bring it before the Lord. And again, happy Resurrection Day. God bless you.